Coming up on Transformers University, with Five Faces of Darkness behind us and Season 3 well underway, we take a look at five more episodes of the third season of the original Transformers cartoon right now on Transformers University. Hello my friend and welcome to episode 63 of Transformers University. I am your host, Anthony Brutale, owner, operator, madman behind TFU.info, the Toy Archive, the website, this podcast, and more. And today we are getting back to the original cartoon, the thing that uh, propelled Transformers into the cultural consciousness and we are continuing with season three and this time we're going to go episodes six through ten and these episodes are certainly unique in how they um set up season three and how they end up telling uh very unique sci-fi stories using the transformers and those stories uh are certainly different among transformers lore and it's I think it's important to mention here something that we brought up uh, a bit earlier was the um, time slot change for Transformers in various markets, including the one I grew up in in New York. So a lot of these episodes aired uh, really early in the morning, and uh, I did not see many of these uh, as a kid. And so we will have a bit of a unique perspective on these because a lot of these, uh, the ones that we're going to cover in this episode are ones I saw as an adult, and that's uh, particularly true of the first one we're going to talk about. Season 3, episode number 6, overall episode number 71, The Killing Jar. And I first saw this episode as uh, part of Kid Rhino's uh, home video releases of the original series back in the year 2000. So I was about 22 years old, give or take, 21 or 22 uh, when I first saw this one, and uh, this one is one of my personal favorites in season three, uh, and it is written by Michael Charles Hill. You may remember him from The Gambler and Starscream's Brigade, along with Joey Kuihara Piedra, and uh, he has no other credits other than the handful of season three episodes he co-wrote with Michael Charles Hill. Now, this episode starts with Ultra Magnus, and he is stargazing, and he doesn't see a Quintesson ship coming. Uh, the ship disguises itself as Skylinks and captures Ultra Magnus. Uh, the Quintesson scientist and his compatriot test Ultra Magnus by making him fight Rodimus. And I say Rodimus in quotes because it is a hologram of Rodimus. Uh, the Quintessons then go to Cha'ar and disguise their ship as Broadside? Uh, well, it's once again, it's another large ship that's working for the Decepticons that looks like Broadside's vehicle mode. Um... I do wonder if the plan for a broadside at some point was to make him uh, a Decepticon or have a Decepticon version of him, as he does appear a lot in these early episodes in his jet mode, uh, or at least his jet mode model does, I should say. So the Quintessons go to capture Cyclonus, and much like with Ultra Magnus, they make him fight an illusion of Galvatron, and uh, the Quintessons are comparing these two very uh, loyal and skilled uh, soldiers. They then head to Junkion and use a TV clown to kidnap Rekgar. And once they do, uh, they use this clown to lure him into the ship. 
And uh, once they do capture him, uh, they leave him in an empty room. Take a junkie arm out of the most cluttered environment in the galaxy, then place him in a completely bare cell. He should be shocked into total inactivity by the change. And no, he does not leave that room. Uh, the way he found it, he wrecks it and makes it very much uh, comfortable to him. And uh, <laughs> I find that interesting because that's uh, what a lot of us do, I think, when we're we're left to our own devices. We, uh, we kind of turn a place into our own little comfort zone. Uh, then back at an EDC base, we see Marissa Fairborn, and she is captured by her, quote, dad. Now, again, once again, it's a hologram. But her dad is voiced by Bill Ratner. And if you remember our uh, Meet the Cast episode a few weeks back, Bill Ratner was also the voice of Flint on G.I. Joe. And Flint's real name on G.I. Joe was Deshiel Fairborn. So Marissa Fairborn shares the same last name, uh, and it wasn't until many, many years later that this was confirmed to be Flint's daughter. But it's a nice little Easter egg laid in the show um, that if you know your parts and you know your pieces, you can kind of string it together. Now, the Quintesson scientist goes to meet his four captives. He, uh, observes them in their jail cells. They realize they are in their jail cells. And the Quintessons take Marissa for examination. Uh, at this point, Rekar fires his fist into uh, a panel on the wall that deactivates uh, the device, keeping uh, Marissa knocked out. And, uh, of course, wackiness ensues. The uh, prisoners attempt a jailbreak. And the Quintesson scientist orders his bodyguard to do this. God, transform into alternate mode and destroy the human. I think that's the first, or if not the only time. Um, I'd have to look that up. But uh, that is one of the few times you will ever hear the term alternate mode uh, used within the context of the Transformers cartoon. So neat little uh, tidbit there. Just then, the ship flies into an electron storm, and everything and everyone starts to malfunction. Ultra Magnus then short-circuits the prison bars, uh, which are electrical bars, as they steer through the storm. The prisoners decide to attack and free themselves from their captors, but Ultra Magnus and Cyclonus square off, each of them vying for the ship. Rekgar fights the Quintesson guard, and Marissa Fairborn fights the scientist. Fairborn then realizes the ship is being pulled into a black hole, and there is only one functional escape pod. The Quintesson scientist is about to use it and sets the launch sequence. Everyone fights over the escape pod a la Spaceballs, and the pod ends up launching empty. But during the launch and the open of the airlock, Ultra Magnus is sucked out into space. Why is Ultra Magnus floating in space like this? Well, he's not there for long, as he's pulled in by Cyclonus with his tractor beam. Cyclonus, you saved me? But why? Warriors, it is you and I should meet their end in battle. So, as the two warriors square off one more time, the ship is pulled into the black hole. And colors for everything on the other side of the black hole are a bit different. Cyclonus is orange and green, Ultra Magnus is olive green and maroon, Marissa has blue skin and purple hair. Rekgar is teal and pink in a very G2 color scheme. Uh, the Quintesson scientist is purple and yellow, and the Quintesson guard is red and purple. 
uh, as they observe, it's called a negative universe where the ship has entered, and the ship now needs to re-enter the, quote, white hole in order to get back to their regular universe. The group decides to work together and repair the ship. The Transformers involved each donate parts, and they have to enter that white hole at the same trajectory. And Marissa and Rekgar, they're ready to go back. Besides, if we did it once, we can... Go back, Jack, and do it again! So the ship successfully enters the white hole. The Autobots and Decepticons are on the other side, uh, each waiting for their respective soldiers and fighting at a standoff on the ship. They agree to split peacefully. But Ultra Magnus and Cyclonus know it's only temporary. Don't try to stop us. There would be no point in that. It appears to be a standoff out there and in here. Then we will go our separate ways. But the next time we meet, it will be as enemies. Yes, as soldiers on opposing sides. No more, no less. And thus, the experiment revealed something in particular to Ultra Magnus. We traveled from one universe to another and back again. But as citizens of the same galaxy, we're still so far apart. And, you know, as far as this episode goes, um, this one is, is pretty unique and pretty interesting. Uh, first off, let's talk a bit about the cast. It's a nice, small, tight group of characters on here. There are not a lot of anything. There's an Autobot, a Decepticon, a Junkion, two Quintessons, and a Human. Um, and that's the whole episode, aside from a few holograms here and there. But... You know, there's no Galvatron other than the hologram. There's no Rodimus other than the hologram. Um, early on in season three, uh, after the big epic that was Five Faces of Darkness, we're now at a place where we can use just a few characters to tell a much more compelling story. And I, I'm pointing that out now because uh, this is kind of something that happens uh, throughout the episodes we're covering today on Transformers University. Uh, the other thing I've noticed, and again, this is something we'll probably talk about a bunch as we cover the next four episodes. Um, there's a lot of missed toy opportunities here uh, for Hasbro or Takara. Uh, as at the time of this recording in 2019, we've never gotten a um, series of recolors of any of these characters uh, in their Killing Jar colors. I would love an Ultra Magnus in his olive green and maroon or an orange and green Cyclonus. Or the teal and pink Rekgar. We never really gotten Quintesson, so we can't really do that. And uh, and Marissa was only a club exclusive. But long story short, even with just those three um, characters, uh, they would make for great, uh, very specific show-oriented repaints that would be uh, a lot of fun to see. And that takes us to another episode that I definitely did not see as a kid. And don't even really remember seeing as an adult, even though I've watched through my box sets at least two or three times. Um, just even looking at the title of this one, I couldn't even tell you what it was about until I watched it. Uh, and that is Season 3, Episode 7. Overall, Episode number 72, Chaos. By Paul Davids, who uh, you may remember from Cosmic Rust. In the episode, we open on a Skuxoid being chased by Blastoff. Blastoff takes down the Skuxoid and uh, interrogates him, steals his weapon, and gets a map to a planet 
where this uh, weapon's ammo is found. This weapon is uh, incredibly strong. It shoots uh, shards of these uh, crystal pellets and takes down this EDC shuttlecraft. And we'll find a bit more about where they are in a little bit. But back on Cybertron, Cup is sharing another one of his Cup Tales. This one, a story about the Ick Yak, which we remember from Transformers the movie. And this story takes place on Planet Dread. He's with uh, Blur and Wheelie and Grimlock, and we get a flashback into the Cup Tale. And we actually see an Ick Yak and what it looks like as it sinks into the muck on Planet Dread. And we see a younger Cup. Um, Grimlock wants to know more about the Planet Dread and about a monster named Chaos from said planet and uh, this strikes a nerve with cup just then they get an incoming transmission from Rekgar on the planet goo which we'll find out is where uh, Blastoff had shot down the skuxoid the Autobots hop aboard Skylinks to investigate and they find the downed EDC shuttlecraft along with uh, a really torn up EDC station cup examines the wreckage and recognizes the ammo as death crystals and cup is spooked just then run amok the battle charger the white one if you're uh not sure which one is which like i am <laughs> uh is riding blast off in his uh, shuttle mode and he fires on the autobots with the death crystals the Autobots load into Skylinks, and the chase is on. The Autobots escape, but Grimlock demands to know what Death Crystals are. And in this scene, the computer uh, reacts to Grimlock's request, and it's oddly silent, uh, which we'll get into in just a little bit. But Cup goes on to explain about the Death Crystals. Death crystals are the hardest, most destructive things in the universe. They grow on that horrible monster, Chaos. Who Chaos? He lives in Quig Mountain, on the planet Dread, deep in the caves. No robot has ever seen him and survived. Ugh, me, Grimlock, already not my Chaos. On to another cup tale, as cup tells that after the Ikyak, the orbs captured him and enslaved him to mine death crystals. As he was in the mine, Chaos entered the mine, and Cup ran further into the mine where he found other slaves locked up. He was about to free them, but dropped the keys and ran away. And Cup is very regretful, and, and let's take a quick step back here. So there were these slaves that were miners, uh, and there's a group scene with them in this episode, and we, we kind of get a, a bit of what they call in voice acting a walla, uh, where a bunch of characters all speak at once. And um, in this walla, we hear the final line in Transformers ever used of Casey Kasem. We've got to get back to our home planet! Now, this goes back to earlier while we were talking about uh, the computer being oddly silent. Now, it's, it's fairly well known that Kasem left the show not happy with uh, the writers and producers on the show for um, some insensitivities towards uh, people from the Middle East in uh, the naming of various nations and uh, characters. 
which we will get to in, in a few episodes. And, and the, these places and characters are what basically caused Kasem, uh, who is of Libyan descent, to quit the show. But Kasem was usually the voice of the computers, uh, such as Teletran 1, uh, which is probably why the computer line was missing earlier on. And uh, this one line, since it was in Walla, uh, was probably left in. Uh, but let's get back to the story. So back on Planet Dread, the Decepticons are building a weapon. Uh, the slaves there, <laughs> they try to escape the mine. And Galvatron sends Predaking to catch them, and he does. The Autobots arrive on Dread, and they are noticed and stalked by the Predacons. The Predacons attack. Blur is knocked into this uh, same quicksand muck that got the Ikyak, but is rescued by Skylinks. The Autobots repel the Predacons, and the Predacons return to Galvatron. Skylinks follows, and the Autobots attack, and the Decepticons counter with Predaking. All of the Autobots, except Skylinks, retreat into the mine. Predaking seals the entrance by cutting off a big chunk of rock after only Cup is able to get in. And now it's time for Cup to go hunting Chaos. Outside, the other bots find Skylinks and continue the fight. But in the mine, Cup lures Chaos to chase him. And Chaos has this to say. And I timed out that scream. It is almost 12 seconds. It is 11 and change long. So that is an 11 plus second scream. Cup makes good on what he didn't do the first time and frees the slaves. Cup and the slaves move the cannon that the Decepticons are building and knock over Galvatron and Astrotrain with the barrel. They point the cannon at the mountain and Chaos steps out and gets hit with some death crystals. So, was Chaos destroyed? We don't necessarily know. The Autobots flee in Skylinks with the slaves, and they head back to Cybertron. But of course, there's time for one more cup tale. Did I ever tell you about the time I was flying in this busted shuttle named Jonagar? Oh no. Quiet! Me Grimlock want to hear story of Jonagar. And that's right, that's Jonagar and the Whale. And, you know, that <laughs> that little bit of a cup tale reminded me of an old comedy bit that uh, uh, I personally love. I'm a big fan of old Abbott and Costello uh, radio comedy uh, from the 30s and 40s. And so I am going to tack this on to the audio version only. So if you're on YouTube watching this, go and hunt down the audio version um, wherever you listen to podcasts, uh, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher even Spotify, um, and and give the end of this episode a listen. I'm going to tack it on after the theme. Uh, it's a great little comedy bit uh, that Abbott and Costello used to do about Jonah and the whale. Now, the other thing about Cup Tales, uh, that little gag came to me today, uh, right before I started recording, because uh, the game Transformers Earth Wars, uh, the mobile game, uh, used the phrase cup tails in it, and I just cannot let that go. Uh, <laughs> so I hope you uh, enjoyed that more than you were annoyed by it. Now, as I mentioned earlier, this episode is uh, 
one I don't remember, but man, this one is pretty good, especially with the Young Cup versus the Old Cup. Another great toy tie-in uh, that we've never seen. Um, we could totally do a Skylinks recolor as Jonagar. Uh, pick what you want, just as the reference itself would be fun. And again, we have a small cast here. Yes, we have Galvatron and Astrotrain, who basically do nothing in the episode. The episode's about Cup and Chaos. But we got Cup, Blur, Wheelie, Skylinks, Grimlock. Nice, tight cast. We got the Predacons, Galvatron, Astrotrain as kind of interference and blast off and run amok. Um, but Chaos is really the villain here. And there's another villain uh, that fits into that Rose Gallery from the cartoon uh, that we never really see or hear of again. And so while uh, we always remember Starscream and Soundwave and Megatron and Shockwave, uh, outside of the Decepticons, there is certainly a wealth of bad guys uh, to draw from in future Transformers lore. And some do, uh, but I always feel like uh, maybe they don't do it enough. And speaking of Transformers lore, this is going to take us to one of the most important episodes of Season 3. One that will tie into the season finale. But for now, let's just take it on its own. This is Season 3, Episode Number eight, overall episode number 73, Dark Awakening. And this one was written by uh, Antoni Zalewski. Uh, you may remember Tony Zalewski from Auto Berserk. Uh, and I mentioned before how these episodes didn't have much of an impact on me as a kid for the most part because I never got to see them, at least in, not in their first run. But one person who did get to see this episode and will be uh, taking you through it is my good friend, Gabriel Owens, the Salty Seaman. Hey folks, Salty Seaman here, reviewing Dark Awakening, a very powerful, powerful episode in the Transformer G1 franchise. Definitely one of the most remembered, but in a way, kind of a, a overall a pointless episode. Uh, we, we get a lot of things that, you know, eventually do not matter, and... Uh, you know, and there's just a vibe to this episode that is wholly different from most of the other episodes in this franchise. It's a very dark episode. Uh, you know, it was designed to, you know, kill questions, you know, in my mind, designed to kill questions about, you know, is Optimus Prime ever going to get fixed and come back? You know, it was, you know, because, I mean, it, it was understandable when you're that age, you see the movie... And yeah, Prime takes a beating, but at the same time, you know, you've seen these guys get disassembled and worse and come back. So I'm guessing, you know, maybe there was a lot of questions they're getting like, oh, someone's going to come fix Optimus Prime. And they're like, no, 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 we're going to, uh, spoiler alert, eject him into a sun. So it's never, there's no possibility ever he comes back. And the way they do it is so, for these, for this cartoon, very gratuitous. It's a very, very dark. The, the setting is dark. Everything in the episode is dark. But And it definitely gave the, uh, the hardcore fans a lot to talk to and, and be memorable. But overall, yeah, it doesn't end up having a whole lot of weight. Uh, it has been a while since I've seen this. The last time I went through my roundabouts, I think it was about five years ago with my kid. And we either skipped this episode or I just somehow missed it. So I know I haven't seen it recently. It's going on, I think last time, may have been over 10 years ago since I've seen this. So here we go with a little bit of Dark Awakening. You know, so we have a uh, we have the start of the plot. The Autobots are 
piloting a, uh, a very arkish looking ship and they're being attacked by the Decepticons. They got ambushed uh, due to the Quintessons giving the Decepticons information. Decepticons are in uh, some very movie-ish, uh, like Galvatron's like, lead ship is straight out of the movie. Uh, we show Galvatron uh, is still crazy. You know, which is nice. Uh, he is, you know, he, he blows up the screen after the Quintessons, you know, basically did what they told him. Like, hey, here you go. Let's drive to the Autobots. So as long as it suits your purposes. And he destroys the view screen because Galvatron is mad. Uh, we get uh, space uh, rocket launchers called torpedoes, which as a Navy guy, I, I really appreciate. We have space torpedoes here from Galvatron. Also to be noted, uh, yeah, the, the, the ship isn't quite as on model as I remembered uh, from the movie, but it it's, looks like it's based on, you know, the movie uh, Galvatron ship design, which I think kind of was Cyclonus as well. I, I, I don't, you know, at this point, season three, some of that stuff with Galvatron, you just kind of just have to buy it and move on. So the Autobots escape certain doom and destruction by escaping in a very large life pod. Holy recycled plots, Batman. Uh, and they say they have no communication and they'll be lost. They could be lost in space for months. Uh, here's, you know, a little bit of why a lot of people really love Rodimus Prime. Unfortunately, this is the escape pod and not a rod pod, but, uh, you know, Spike wonders aloud what happens when the air runs out for him and Daniel. Oh, swell. What do Daniel and I do when the air runs out? Well, basically, you'll have two choices, suffocate or smother. Which just is, is, is hilarious. Just, just so callous. So sarcastic. I love Rodimus. So the Autobot spot what looks like some kind of refuge, which uh, looks like some kind of giant floating, uh, possibly really thin aircraft carrier looking thing. Uh, we feed Decepticons in pursuit. Uh, you know, they're supposed to go check out the debris, but now they're there. Uh, something happened. This episode has some issues. Among them, uh, the people flying, we suddenly have Coneheads. Instead of Thrust, Dirge, and Ramjet, we have uh, Dirge into Thrust. So we get exposition on what this is. This is the, the tomb of the uh, late Autobots who died in the war. They say it's about the size of Manhattan. Uh, it's, you know, an interesting, definitely an interesting piece of the cartoon lore because we, we'd already seen in the movie what the Decepticons had a uh, their crypt, which we will see again later in Starscream's Ghost and I think one other place. And this is basically the only, the one and only episode we see the mausoleum uh, in space, and uh, causes a few issues, which we'll get to here in a second. But we also learn why we never see it again coming up real soon as well. Uh, we get inside the uh, the crypt, and we have a uh, you know, cut points out this thing. It's like the veil of remembrance, remembering the Autobot heroes of the past. And I think there is an animation error here. I think they were supposed to show at least stock footage in this veil, you know, probably of, you know, season one and season two stuff. And instead we just get this weird fog. And I think there was a miscommunication or, you know, something happened there, but the, I think that was supposed to, you know, there's probably in probably Optimus Prime, maybe even our first glimpse of Optimus Prime, but instead we get nothing. But uh, it does kind of add to this weird eerie, uh, Ambiance. This whole episode has just muted colors, you know, reds and a lot of black, and it looks like there's a filter over it. It's a little darker than you know other episodes. Uh, you know, th th they're definitely going. This is like I, I believe aired around Halloween. Like this was like a Halloween episode. So we get some uh, interesting confirmed dead here: uh, Ironhide, Ratchet, Prowl, Huffer, 
the first three uh, we saw die in the movie. So they are, you know, this is definitely confirming them dead. And we had Huffer, who I believe in like the original script and or storyboards also dies. But of course that is not canon. So him dying here is, uh, him confirmed dead here is he died off screen somewhere. Uh, notably not among them are your other favorite Autobots that you can always say survived if you choose to believe that. Such as Braun, who is a famous one in the fandom for a long time. People not believing a shot, one shot to the shoulder would take him out of commission. So uh, if you're a big Wilczek fan, you know, maybe you could just imagine he was merely badly damaged in the scene we see him in. And then we get a uh, gruesome sight as uh, Daniel uh, accidentally turns something off, some kind of power generator, and we see a very beat-up Optimus Prime, you know, doesn't look like anything has been done to prep his body for it. He looks worse than he did in the movie dying. He is very, like, robot zombie looking. And then Daniel has a, uh, opens up another crypt and a very generic Autobot falls out. I think people, there, there's been a lot of debate on who he was. Some people saying Hauler, possibly. He kind of looks like a knockoff reflector bot, almost. But then a lot of the generic robot designs all kind of had that basic look, so... You know, I don't know. You can read into that what you will. So the Autobots think maybe there's something to Daniel's story after they run into him and calm him down, and they go check out Optimus Prime's tomb. Uh, you know, I should bonus, but by the way, it's Brodimus, Cup, Ultra Magnus, and uh, RC with Daniel and Spike. Uh, we get to Optimus's tomb, and a couple of the shots, the uh, the the impression on the uh, outside of his uh, tomb. You know, there's a, there's a like a sculpted impression of Optimus Prime, and he has a a mouth in a few scenes, and he's very weirdly off model elsewhere. But definitely, it, 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 there's flashbacks to the Ladybird books, which famously has a very well painted picture of Optimus with a mouth, very mouth guard. And uh, again, plenty you could throw plenty of fanical reasons why that is, other than you know an edit, you know an obvious just. Uh, animation uh, error off, you know, modeling error of some sort. Uh, we, the Decepticons finally show up. They find the tomb empty after they find the tomb empty. Uh, we have a battle outside the veil. Again, they go through the, that weird non-moving veil. That's uh, interesting things with the battle. Uh, we see, you know, what, what becomes like, you know, they have one stock animation of Galvatron transforming, that, uh, you know, and they did that for a lot of characters, you know, Megatron, uh, especially Optimus Prime. And his, his always seems weird because it always feels like it's, it's the size is never consistent. They kind of zoom it in or, or pull it in close. And it's always like this. It's still the same anime. It's still the same, uh, you know, animation uh, sequence. In this case, like he fills the whole screen and it's just, it just looks very awkward. Uh, and we also have the, uh, uh, the sweeps get blasted out of the air, which is like a rec recurring motif in season three. Is you know, it's pretty obvious these sweeps are just getting you know absolutely vaporized often, and they're just treated kind of as you know disposable. You know, we we never you know there's been a lot of theory about you know what the Insecticons became scourge. You know, one of the Insecticons is scourge. I can't remember which one, but because of their cloning technology, that he can just make you know innumerable sweeps which is why their numbers are very inconsistent, and we see them die quite often. Also, when Scourge and some sweeps and Cyclonus land, their guns uh, uh, appear in their hand, like out of uh, you know, one of the 
few scenes that there's been other scenes where this has happened, which has given rise to the the fan theory of subspace, where they keep you know extra weight or you know weapons or mass, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. You know, up to you how much you believe that, but uh, this is definitely a strong uh, indication of it. Decepticons push them back through the veil. Uh, looks like they have the upper hand. Uh, Galatron promises to rest them here in the tomb with the rest of the with the rest of them, and you know, hit your mentor, i.e., Optimus Prime, when Sue should attack, but Optimus Prime himself, his corpse has obviously reanimated, uh, looking a little less uh, beat up as he was when he first Daniel first sees him in the spooky tomb part. But no less looking, you know, not looking 100%. But he freaks the Decepticons out. You know, he still lays down, he's laying down heavy firepower. The, the sweep are essentially spooked. They run and they manage to uh, get them uh, off the the mausoleum. And uh, that's when we have a commercial break after point in Optimus Prime comes out of the mist and stands. And I definitely remember this as a kid is like, what? Oh my God. Like this was... You know, you didn't know where they were, didn't know where they were going with this. You know, I, I think at that moment I was like, "There's no way he's back for good." I mean, just I think this the signs of his damage kind of gave it away that this was going to be some kind of swerve, not the character, but uh, you know, some kind of twi- plot twist. And uh, you know, I was very, very you know interested to see what happened next. And already, it was very, very engaging for you know like a nine going on ten year old. So here we get one of our first uh, major uh, plot issues in that, uh, you know, Optimus is like, you know, ask Rodimus the Matrix safe. He says yes. Rodimus is gleefully ready to hand this over. Interesting point of, uh, of Rodimus's, you know, take on leadership is like, it's cool and all, but uh, as soon as Prime shows up, he's like, hey, man, right, here you go. Uh, you know, Prime is obviously in bad shape. Ultra Magnus kind of, you know, Says, hey, hey, wait, maybe we shouldn't do this right away. And then Rodimus is like, why? Well, it's a prime. Come on, guys. He's just shook up a little. You'd be too if you'd been dead for years. But, which is a weird statement because at this point, you know, it may have been a year going by the general chronology of season three. You know, we pretty much establish, you know, it took them about a year after uh, the events with Unicron to drive the Decepticons off, re, you know, start rebuilding Cybertron, reestablish a connection with like. You know, the Galactic Federation, whatever they're called. So it's been taking place in 2006. And jumping this ahead years would imply a while. And, uh, you know, Daniel, no, number one, Daniel still looks to be six. He has not changed animation models. So turns out Optimus leads the, uh, the group over and we find out he's been building a repair ship. But uh, he is something, he is a little off. He keeps talking about a must-complete mission. But Hot Rod's so happy, or Rodimus is so happy to see him. He rushes over immediately to hand him the Matrix, which was obvious a, a weird trigger for Optimus. For you know, we start to kind of get a, a grasp of what's going on. Uh, you know, he uh, you know he he struggles really really hard to get the Matrix into him, which just seems very very strange. You know, and then he immediately he turns on the uh, Autobots and the, the Wikis. And uh, kind of blast them away, nearly, you know, nearly killing everyone, and he escapes in the shuttle. So now we know something is amiss with Optimus Prime. There is something other than his own person self-controlling him. We see Daniel and Spike definitely paralyzed under a ton, ton of broken 
stuff, but of course they're the magical Wiki family, and they just pull themselves right out. Prime gets back to Cybertron and rallies the troops. Uh, it is becomes apparent this is some kind of plot. He's sicking a uh, attack on the Quintessons, blaming them for the deaths of uh, Rodimus, Hot, uh, or as he, I think he calls him Hot Rod, RC, Ultra Magnus, Cup, and the Woodwickies. Which sends everyone into a furious rage, wanting revenge. Grimlock grieving for, you know, Gr Grimlock's grief causes him to cause damage. You know, Springer, you know, very, uh, you know, very emotionally hurt by the death of RC. As, of course, you assume the others. And, yeah, the Autobots are ready to full-scale wipe out the Quintessons. So, apparently, this it was done by the Quintessons and is all according to plan. And we get a uh, little bit of... Quintesson, uh, typical dry wit humor. The entire Autobot fleet moves to attack us. Precisely as we predicted. May I propose an anticipatory snicker of triumph? <laughs> so the Autobots and the Wittwickies uh, escape in a uh, fashioned out of... Uh, you got to wonder what these spaceships are made out of, considering you have a lot of dead Autobots in there with probably perfectly functioning parts. You know, were not they cannibalizing, you know, the various Autobots around in the Monsoleum, both Prime and the second group. You know, they don't really touch on where they get the parts. Just, you know, they cobbled it together from the debris. Okay. And then, of course, they launch it in the sun, and they make sure to let us know we're never seeing these dead people again. Stop asking us. So, uh, man, it's a, it, it's a rough scene. Like, this whole episode, it's so dark. It's so dreary. You know, it is, you know, in terms of, you know, being a Halloween episode, if that is indeed what it was meant to do, and a, a bit of a standalone, uh, I think it does a really, really good job at this point. Like, I know as a kid watching this, I was completely enraptured with this episode. Uh, so the Autobots, uh, our wayward uh, Autobots with Hot, Hot Rod and company uh, crash land onto Cybertron. We find like the only people holding down the, the, the fort are a rarely seen uh, Snarl and Sludge who, uh, you know, ask them if they're ghosts, if they're dead. And then Snarl has a moment of wonderful expositional crisis. Sludge! not glad to see you. You are dead. <laughs> Maybe we dead. Anyways, yeah, I, that's just, just a great little line. So the Autobot fleet continues towards uh, the Quintessons all-out attack. Uh, all concerns are kind of swept aside because he's Optimus Prime. You know, who are we going to question the greatest Autobot leader? Uh, you know, Perceptor says, like, maybe we should scout. He says no, and he kind of snaps at him for questioning his leadership. You know, they get the message back, you know, from Cybertron, hey, Hot Rod and the company are okay. And he says it's a Quintesson trick. You know, and also, why didn't the, the message from Cybertron come back, like, don't trust Optimus Prime? I, you know, who knows? Uh, we see among the fleet attacking, uh, we do we get uh, a rare appearance by Skyfire. Uh, Power Glide is around and also many, many uh, aerial bots, way too many for their, you know, canonically five and there's 15, 20. And as they, they're led into this trap where the Quintessons have, you know, a bunch of asteroids, battle stations hit, you know, hidden as bad as, you know, space debris start firing on them. We, you know, we see a lot of Autobot deaths, air, many aerial bots, Skyfire, Power Glide, I think Power Glide a couple times. 
Uh, you know, everything is going according to plan, and the Quintessons kind of, you know, admit to, you know, they are controlling Optimus Prime to the point where he feels like he is actually alive, but basically they've reanimated his corpse as a zombie. So they get uh, contact with Rodimus's ship, or Hot Rod's ship, but at the same time, they still, uh, you know, Prime still says no, you know, he, one minute he's a little bit, uh, you know, like, oh, they're still alive, like the real Optimus is happy, but then his Quintesson programming takes over, and, uh, you know, he says, you know, fire on them, and no one questions, you know, maybe Prime, you know, they're still under the assumption that Prime knows what he's doing, and, you know, no, no one's really questioning, you know, this seemingly out of character rash leadership he's being. So they just fire on, you know, Rod Rod and company, which is, which is horror, you know, but you know, while they're, they're uh, troops, you know, the aerial bots and very generic planes are getting blown up outside. uh, You know, the, 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 the whole, the the hole is breached and everyone floats out. Luckily the woodwickies got into spacesuits or their, their, you know, their little automated little transformer spacesuits, whatever the, can't remember what the hell they're called. Uh, and Perceptor uh, and Air Raid are about to fire on them. Perceptor takes a closer look and realizes they are. He confirms they're alive. And the Quintessons say it's mer- merely a minor setback. So the Autobots, uh, Hot Rod and Company, come on board and we assume get the rest of the crew up to speed. What's going on with Optimus? He says he's going Optimus hunting. Uh, we get a, a brief shot. Uh, one of the rare shots of, in Season 3 of Hot Rod's... Uh, uh, you know, hot rod car mode, as opposed to the Rodimus Winnebago look. Uh, so that that's pretty interesting, and uh, you know he's leading the Autobots, showing you know he really is a, a strong leader. He busts through the command door and uh, comes to face uh, Optimus face to face. So we get a rather gruesome battle between Optimus and uh, and Rod and Hot Rod, who he calls Rodimus various points here, uh, and also in Rodimus slash Hot Rod jump. Models here, uh, Rodimus's uh, more mature-looking face uh, shows up in a couple of these scenes. Versus, and sometimes they go back to the original Hot Rod. Prime himself, uh, he, he's got the for most of these scenes, he has the the white backpack look. Uh, you know, which he would switch on and off from season one and two with, and then some scenes he just has a plain red bag back or some odd ones where he has like this weird like gray middle section, which I don't think is very common. But uh, he goes through a lot of his different. Uh, uh, model sheets as they're going through his and also his of course his damage level uh ebbs and flows depending on which shot he's in so i mean this is i mean rodimus gets tore up uh optimus loses an arm it's a brutal fight optimus is really fighting it, or as the quintessons say the remnants of his personality and memory you know he's not actually the what would later be called the spark of prime isn't there it's just it's it's basically they've reactivated a ghost Optimus finally overcomes it for a little bit, realizes what a monster they've turned him into, and you know, or the remnants of him. He gives the Matrix back to Rodimus and takes off. We don't get a scene of Rodimus really morphing, or Hot Rod morphing back to Rodimus. It looks like it was supposed to, but it just looks like he's kind of shaking, you know, just in pain a lot. So, but, you know, and then they're still being inconsistent with which face he has. As in a couple shots, he's Hot Rod. Some other shots, he's got back his Rodimus face. So we finally wrap up this just brutal episode with with Optimus, or the remnants of Optimus, fully back in control, turned over the Matrix, and he takes the flagship on a sui- zombie suicide run on, into a detonator. 
the orders the Autobot fleet to flee, and the remnants of it uh, flee. The Quintessons order all firepower onto the flagship, and there's there's they cannot believe that someone is still piloting and controlling this. I don't know why. You know, maybe it could be autopilot, but you know, but the implication is you know because Optimus Prime is a you know essentially a zombie. You know, he's you know we see him just his body just more brutalized and brutalized as the attack goes on. And, you know, it's like twice he drops Talal or one. And, uh, yeah, he hits the uh, the detonator, presumably killing, uh, you know, we would see Quintessons again, which actually becomes a plot point uh, much later on uh, in tying to this. But, you know, the, the presumption was the Quintessons were destroyed by this, but they do come back uh, various times in the season. And, uh, yeah, it was definitely, there was an episode, like, everyone remembers, if you watched that when you were of a proper age, like, that stood out. It was so dark and dreary and brutal and, you know, just people dying left and right. Optimus Prime's back and he's just kind of creepy the entire time and the fight with him and Rodimus is brutal and him getting destroyed, you know, as he's approaching the detonator is brutal. It's just, you know... You know, it really does stand as a fun one-off kind of Halloween special almost, which they didn't really do, that kind of thing. But at any regards, uh, I'm way over time here. Uh, and uh, back over to you, Anthony. Thanks, Gabe. And if you want to catch Gabe's channel on YouTube, it is youtube.com slash recharge138. Uh, and you can hear Gabe talk about all sorts of things, uh, particularly movies about the military. Uh, those are some of my favorite uh, episodes that he does. And you can actually find me on a couple episodes there, uh, usually talking heavy metal. We did this great episode on Guns N' Roses, Use Your Illusions 1 and 2. Uh, so if you like those albums, uh, uh, go and check that out on his YouTube channel. Uh, now, Gabe had mentioned or had speculated that this episode had originally aired around Halloween. He's kind of close, but he's kind of off. Uh, the original air date for this episode was October 1st in 1986. And if this episode reminded you of other cartoons, that's because uh, Tony Zalewski pulled a David Wise with this script and reused chunks of it from an episode of Superpowers Team Galactic Guardians, which was the final season of more or less Super Friends. And so, though we don't have David Wise on this episode, today we are going to get wise to the game with Tony Zalewski. Zalewski. So this, the episode in question from Superpowers Team was episode number two, and it's the first story in that episode, Ghost Ship. And there's, there's two big elements in that story that are very similar to Dark Awakening. One is that there is a space shuttle uh, trying to escape at the start of the episode. And the other thing that's in common in this episode is once they do escape, they find um, a vessel floating in space like this. And uh, whereas in Dark Awakening, it was the Autobot Mausoleum, in Ghost Ship, it was a ghost ship. And so let's first compare uh, the escape sequence because both ships seem to have the same problem. First, here's Dark Awakening. We can't outrun them, not with an engine down. And now, here is the Superpowers Team episode. Can't we go any faster? With one engine out, give me a break. All right, now, 
The other thing was the size of said derelict in space. Here is the one of Spike from Dark Awakening. It's the size of Manhattan. And here is the Superpowers team. I don't believe it. It's the size of Manhattan. Now, one of the characters in that scene of Superpowers team was uh, the DC character Firestorm. And that's important because as we transition to Season 3, Episode 9 overall, Episode number 74, Forever is a Long Time Coming. We'll find out that it was written by Jerry Conway and Carla Conway. Now, uh, Jerry Conway is kind of comics royalty <laughs> uh, in a way that I did not know until I was uh, researching this episode. Now, uh, let's talk about his wife first because there's not a lot on her. So Carla Conway was his first wife. Uh, Jerry's been married three times, and uh, she is a writer herself, uh, mainly a freelance writer and editor around New York City and Connecticut. Now, Jerry Conway has had a lifetime in comics and uh, screen writing, and uh, his comic work is uh, incredibly important. Uh, <laughs> I mean, shockingly so. So, he was the writer to succeed Stan Lee on writing Amazing Spider-Man. He is the writer responsible for the Gwen Stacy storyline uh, of much fame from uh, the early Spider-Man days. And between in his time at DC or Marvel, uh, he co-created or created uh, some of the most important characters in comics history, including the aforementioned Firestorm, uh, the Punisher, uh, Jason Todd, who would become Robin, uh, Man-Thing, both regular size and giant size. Killer Croc, and a character known as Ms. Marvel, Carol Danvers, who would eventually become the Captain Marvel that we see in films today. And this character was created in the late 70s as a feminist hero by uh, uh, the folks at Marvel and Jerry Conway. And uh, so just uh, in light of uh, recent conversation around uh, a certain movement in the comics industry I just wanted to point that out that that these statements on society and and giving a voice to those who don't normally get a voice has been going on in comics for decades and as it should be let's get into the story here uh, this is a, a fun one so this one features the Autobots flying through space towards an asteroid belt where there is some strange energy the Autobots in question, Blaster, Blur, Rekgar, Perceptor, and a pair of Blaster's tapes. Now, the reason I'm pointing out Blaster's tapes is we hear them speak for the first time, and this is something I kind of um, forgot about to do in the Meet the Cast episode uh, for Season 3. And uh, that's mainly because the cassettes appeared in the movie, and so uh, they did not speak in the movie, so I didn't think to cover them uh, in season three. So Rewind, voiced by Townsend Coleman. Uh, you may know him better as the original Michelangelo on Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles or as the original Tick. 1,200,043 and seven months to be precise. That was Rewind with the stats, so where it's at? 
And for the first time, we also hear Ramhorn in this episode. So why'd you, well, why'd you want us along? This ain't, this ain't our gig kind of gig. And Ramhorn was voiced by John Hostetter. And uh, Hostetter was a character actor, regular on Murphy Brown, uh, a reoccurring character on Who's the Boss. Most notably was Bazooka on G.I. Joe and appeared in Star Trek Insurrection as a Bullion officer. Uh, Captain, Harz Adislow, we met at the Nelbato conference last year. Did you ever have a chance to read my paper on thermionic transconductance? Would you excuse me? And sadly, Hostetter passed away at the age of 69 in 2016. Now, let's go back to the story. This asteroid is defended by Sharktacons. So the Autobots end up fighting these Sharktacons in space. They find out that the Quintessons are on the asteroid, trying to open what they call a time window. Near the asteroid, a Quintesson ship fires on the bots, and uh, Perceptor is hit. The rest of the Autobots fly through the time window, but there's an animation error here. Um, you only hear them fly through the time window. You see the time window, uh, but you don't actually see the Autobots go through it. Just then, backup arrives. Uh, Superion and Rodimus Prime are firing on the Quintessons. The Quintessons flee, and a strange Autobot materializes. And Slingshot, of all people, has an observation. Where'd this dinkoid come from? <laughs> a toy store? The Autobots, uh, through the time window, get attacked. But Rewind has an idea of what's going on. Do you realize what that is, Blur? No, but you're going to tell me, aren't you? I can always tell when you're going to tell me something. It's a guardian from the earliest days of Cybertron, even before the Great War against the Decepticons. How could that be a guardian? There aren't any guardians anymore, are there? And it certainly can't be Cybertron, can it? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know! We meet a female Autobot with a crossbow, and she wounds a guardian robot, rescuing the Autobot. She invites them to flee with her and believes they are slaves as well. You don't look like slaves. Slaves? Who's a slave? We're not slaves. What makes you think we're slaves? You wear the same brand we all do. The hated mark of our servitude to the quince. For a million years, it has been our symbol of shame. A3 says we must make it a symbol of freedom. A3's your main man? Our leader, yes. With his coder remote device, we could freeze the Guardians in their tracks and drive the Quince from the city they forced us to build. Then slaves all over Cybertron would rise up to claim their freedom. But if we fail... Blaster, we're in the past, when the Quintessons still ruled Cybertron and the robots were their slaves. We find out this female Autobot is named Beta and is voiced by Susan Blue. We also find out that an Autobot named A3 is missing, and it turns out that is the Autobot that appeared through the time window, voiced by Tony Pope. The Quintessons observe what's going on out of this time window, and this time window is leaking chronal energy, which could mess with the time stream. If the window isn't closed in the next hour, those ripples will spread through the universe. From Cybertron to the human's planet Earth and beyond into infinity to jeopardize the stability of reality itself. Now, the Autobots don't want to close this window because their friends are trapped on the other side, but the Quintessons want to destroy the window. Uh, the Quintessons attack the asteroid one more time, 
uh, and the bots plan to repel this attack, but A3 gets hit and is sent hurling into space. Why is A3 floating in space like this? Superion flies out to snatch A3 and faces down three Quintesson ships all by himself and for a moment is hopeless. I have failed to Rodimus. It is finished. No, Superion! You must live that I may be born. Alpha Trion A3. The Chronal Force wraps Superion. He appears in two places at once, fighting off the Quintessons and the Quintessons retreat. In the past, the Autobots attacked the Quintesson base, guarded by what are called Dark Guardian robots. Back in the present, the Quintessons contact the Autobots for a truce because they must close the window. In the past, the battle continues, and Ramhorn knocks down a Dark Guardian robot with one hit, and he is almost the size of the thing in the animation. Fast forward to the present, and the Autobots are instructed to close the window by the Quintessons. Uh, they walk through the steps of closing the window, but Rodimus hesitates because he wants to send someone through. A3 volunteers to go back and arrives uh, at the Autobots and the Rebels in the middle of their battle. Now, early in the episode, they had mentioned a thing called the Coder Remote that could be used to stop the Dark Guardian robots, and only A3 had it. It turns out A3's Autobot badge is the Coder Remote, and he uses it to beat a slew of dark guardian robots now remember the guardian robots are essentially omega supreme or a version thereof uh, in terms of size and shape just then a3 orders the other autobots to go back to their time through the window in the present those autobots arrive and the window is destroyed and rewind it's a little slow to the party of what we've all already figured out Blur, it just hit me. A3, A for Alpha, 3 for Trion. You don't think... What? That was the guy who created Optimus Prime? He was the father of the Autobots? You gotta be kidding. And thus, just like we ended Dark Awakening with a uh, celestial uh, sign of Optimus Prime, we end this one with a celestial outline of A3, Alpha Trion himself. Now, this episode... Once again, as I mentioned, all the episodes in this week's uh, Transformers University podcast uh, are interesting and unique in their own ways. This one is another time travel episode involving Alpha Trion and the Aerialbots. And uh, just to give you a quick summary of what we have here. So the Aerialbots just saved A3. A3 will go on to build Optimus Prime out of Orion Pax when they met in Wardon, uh, when the Aerialbots traveled to the past. Optimus Prime would build the Aerialbots with Alpha Trion in the key to Vector Sigma when they headed to Cybertron. So there is a very uh, bizarre circle of uh, Alpha Trion, Optimus Prime, and the Aerialbots uh, built here. Another unique thing about this episode, no Decepticons at all. Uh, it's one of the few in the series, but again, a lot of great little toy opportunities here for the uh, Transformers Generations line if they so wanted to do it uh, on a smaller scale. A3 would be a great little figure, a young Alpha Trion, maybe to go with the young cup uh, that uh, we saw in Chaos. Beta, uh, another female Autobot that would uh, be great to get a figure of. 
and the Dark Guardians are an easy repaint of the Titan Omega Supreme figure. And that takes us to the final episode we will talk about today, Season 3, Episode 10, overall episode number 75, Starscream's Ghost by McGean McLaughlin. Uh, McLaughlin was a writer and production assistant on a number of 1980s cartoons, uh, wrote for the Deke version of G.I. Joe, wrote for Captain Planet and Kim Possible, and currently she hosts Quan Yin meditation workshops around the Los Angeles area. This one, we start on the planet of Junkion, where Junkyard, who is uh, Junkion himself, is loading a ship of scrap metal for Octane, who has been exiled by the Decepticons. And we'll find out why in another episode. But uh, interesting here that uh, it may not have been intended to be Octane this entire time, but we'll get to that. Um, there's a Skuxoid who plants a bomb on Octane's ship, and Octane takes off and decides to watch some um, adult entertainment while he's flying. It's a very bizarre scene. Um, I think I used it in the uh, Meet the Voice cast episode. Uh, so if you want to see what it looks like, check that out on our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash TFU info. Uh, the episode was uh, Meet the Cast of Season 3. So the bomb explodes. The ship explodes. Why is Octane floating in space like this? Uh, to be rescued by a passing ship and taken to Autobot City. Octane then goes and hangs out with his buddy Sandstorm, and he thinks he's being watched. Sandstorm just tells him he's paranoid, but it turns out the Combaticons have been spying on the two Triple Changers all along. And soon, as uh, Octane and Sandstorm race around Earth, the Combaticons decide to fire on them. But they escape, and eventually the Triple Changers will head to space for a snack. Hey, how's the food here? Yeah, it looks like the usual slop, high and static. Stuff always gives me surges. For 20% off, what are a few surges? Righto, let's go. So while at the uh, space Taco Bell, uh, the Skuxoid continues his attempt to assassinate Octane. This time he tries shooting at him and misses, but chaos kind of ensues in the restaurant and the gun is eaten. But the two triple changers do not notice. It's kind of a comedic scene here where uh, there's a lot of calamity going on, but the two people who are in the most danger don't see anything going on. We find out exactly what happened with Octane. That's something from a future episode that we will cover here in a future episode. I interfered with Galvatron's orders. I swiped Trypticon and tried to become powerful enough to become the new leader of the Decepticons. He said I'd never be welcome back in the ranks of the Decepticons. Galvatron vowed to get even. And that episode in question is Thief in the Night, which we will cover uh, at a later date. But the interesting thing here is exactly what Octane had said was exactly what Galvatron had said to Blitzwing at the end of Five Faces of Darkness. Uh, so Hasbro may have wanted one triple changer swapped out for another, especially since Octane was the newer toy at the time, and then the script was adapted for Octane. Now, the Skuxoid has a grenade and attempts to blow up the triple changers, and it fails and it goes unnoticed. He then just hops on Octane's back and starts punching him. Octane is not phased by the punches at all and grabs the Skuxoid and begins to question him and finds out that it is Galvatron who has hired the Skuxoid to kill Octane. So the triple changers head to Cybertron, and they are followed in by Cyclonus, Scourge, and the Sweeps. They attack Octane, and the chase is on once again and Octane is chased into the depths of Cybertron. 
he ends up in a Decepticon burial chamber and decides to strike up a conversation with a few dead friends. Sorry, Thundercracker. I'll hide behind someone else's marker. I know death comes to anyone who hides behind my marker. That whole death comes to he who hides behind my marker is a hint at Dirge's uh, text spec quote. And it's something that was in the script for him in the movie, but was never spoken. However, Dirge uh, did not die in the movie and uh, is seen several times throughout season three. So it's worth speculating as to who that marker actually belonged to. And the animation uh, doesn't look like anyone we know. So maybe uh, Dirge uh, stole that quote from someone else. Octane, however, gets spooked uh, and half transforms into truck mode. And while he's half transformed with his head out and his wheels out and his wings out all at the same time, he meets the ghost of Starscream. Outside the crypt, uh, Cyclonus Scourge and the Sweeps decide to enter. And uh, Cyclonus finds Octane in the melee and during this gets possessed by Starscream. Now with Starscream using Cyclonus to lead this group of Decepticons, they take Octane out in chains. As they're flying through the air, the Autobots spot them, and Sandstorm tries to help his friend, but is shot down by Cyclonus Scream. Uh, the Aerialbots attack, as do other Autobots, and the Decepticons are forced to land. Cyclonus and Octane get caught by Rodimus Prime, and Starscream reveals himself via Cyclonus's body to Rodimus Prime. Now let Octane go! Octane is free to go! Starscream! That's right. And if you want a bonus beyond your wildest dreams, you will release us now! And Rodimus lets him go. The Decepticons return to Galvatron and, air quotes Cyclonus, interrogates Octane, and Octane agrees to talk. We cut to Rodimus Prime alone somewhere, and Galvatron and company arrive. I have lived all my life for this day. Ready when you are, Galvatron. We must fight honorably, hand unit to hand unit. As you wish. And this notion of hand-to-hand combat, very reminiscent of an earlier episode from Season 1, Heavy Metal War. Rodimus and Galvatron fight, and Rodimus Prime gets Galvatron down. As Galvatron looks up, he realizes he is surrounded by Autobots with their weapons drawn. The Decepticons flee, and Galvatron returns to Cha'ar to find Cyclonus sitting on his throne. Cyclonus then reveals his true self. Well now, who do you think I mean? Starscream! (laughs) Galvatron then shoots at Starscream, and Starscream's ghost flees the body. Cyclonus gets shot and comes to back to his normal self for a moment, Galvatron orders the sweeps to repair him. And then Scourge is shown to be possessed by the ghost of Starscream. And that's where we end on that cliffhanger. Now, uh, really important is this particular episode, just like Dark Awakening is is very important in Transformers lore, this one um, will echo throughout the history of the Transformers brand uh, almost all the way up to present day, and I'm sure for uh, future stories as well. 
the concept of Starscream's ghost and Starscream being able to possess people and why he even has a ghost uh, is actually a big part of the Beast Wars series of the late 90s. And in the toy line, this is one, as opposed to the other four episodes we talked about, that Hasbro and Takara have not missed out on chances to use a Starscream toy as a ghost Starscream. And ghost Starscream toys uh, started coming out in 2001 and can be found all the way up, I believe, until like 2017. So, uh, And that's only as of this recording. So the notion of Starscream's ghost is one that is incredibly important in a post-Transformers movie world. Now, just thinking about these five episodes overall, we have two very important ones, and actually maybe even three if you want to count the time travel aspect of Forever is a Long Time Coming. These are all kind of harder sci-fi episodes. They have more in common with uh, Star Trek or The Twilight Zone than they do the first two seasons of The Transformers, and I think that's very important. The show itself is taking on a more serious tone. And uh, while that may have alienated younger viewers, uh, it may have been meant to appeal to older viewers. But uh, again, that switch in time slot in some places, especially in New York, which is the largest media market in the United States, uh, had to have hurt uh, the Transformers brand at the time. But in retrospect, in the long term, uh, this is what the tone of season three usually is. And uh uh, this is why a lot of uh, old school fans really do like season three the best out of uh, three seasons of the cartoon, four seasons of the cartoon. Now, as I mentioned earlier, remember to stay tuned to the end for a little special tidbit if you're listening to the audio version of this show. And don't forget, if you are listening to the audio version of the show, you can check out this show on YouTube at youtube.com slash TFU info. You can catch all every episode of this podcast there, plus all of our videos, toy reviews, and uh, news coverage from Toy Fair, New York Comic Con, etc. Now, if you'd like to help the show, we'll be real quick about it. Subscribe to the YouTube channel, as I mentioned, youtube.com slash tfuinfo. You can also subscribe at our Patreon, patreon.com slash tfuinfo. It's patreon.com slash tfuinfo. For as little as a dollar a month, you'll get early access to the show and so many more fun goodies along the way, especially uh, some insight into some of the reoccurring gags, sound effects, and music clips you hear in the show regularly. Of course, you can catch me on Twitter at TFU underscore info, on Facebook at facebook.com slash TFU info, on Instagram at instagram.com slash TFU info, and of course, on the web at www.tfu.info. Next time on the show, we're heading back to Japan Japan. to take a look at the toy line and the media that was set up for the toy line. Uh, Let's just say the importing of season three and uh, how it was kind of different there. Uh, So if you liked this episode, uh, you certainly should stick around for the next one because uh, we're going to break down the little differences in the series in Japan uh, for season three because some events that led into the season didn't actually happen in the land of the rising sun. Also, we're going to take a deep dive into the toy line for 86 in Japan, uh, including a look at the company Kabaya and their uh, candy toys, something uh, that 
I have been hesitant to learn about uh, in my Transformers fandom and took a really deep dive in the research and came back pleasantly surprised at, uh, uh, at how much I didn't know and all the fun things I learned. So if you'd like to learn along with me, please come back for the next episode. But until then, I am your host, Anthony Brucal, the owner, operator, madman behind TFU.info. See ya. Well, let's get started with the show. Let's do some funny stuff. What funny stuff? You know, let's tell something. Well, we don't uh, we don't tell jokes. We, in fact, we have no jokes. We tell ru- uh, r- routine minute, sort of uh, stories. And... We have no jokes. No, that's right. You're I was, right. I was telling you. But I have a joke. You, ha- you have a what? I have a joke. Where'd you get it? I tell a joke. Where'd you get the joke? I wrote it myself. You wrote a joke? Brand new one. Wrote it yourself? Nobody's ever heard it before. Is it funny? It's clean. Yeah, I don't mean that. Is it funny? <laughs> So. And it's brand new. Yes. You think the folks out there will like it? I think so. It's a, it's, it's a fish story. How long will it take to tell it? A couple of seconds. The only thing is, you ain't got nothing to say in it. You might as well get a chair and sit down because you don't open your mouth once through the whole thing. But it's funny. Very cute. And you wrote it. Yeah, but you keep your mouth shut. You don't get... You no. got nothing to say whatsoever. No, I don't have to say anything as long as you wrote it. It's about a whale, a ship, and Jonah. And it's funny. Yeah. And you wrote it. Yeah, now don't talk no, no more. Well, go ahead. Let's hear it. Let's now, see don't say funny. another word. No. As long okay. as it's funny. It's funny! And it's brand new. Now keep your mouth shut. All right, let's hear it. Once upon a time, there was a whale. What kind of a whale? <laughs> what kind of a whale? You see, that's what I mean. You gotta keep your mouth shut. You ain't got oh. nothing to say in this. Well, all right, no, it's not you important. You don't have to ask me what kind of whale it is because I don't know what kind of whale it was. All right, let's forget about it. How do I know what kind of whale right, it is? Don't shout now. What do you think I do, belong to a whale guy or something? I know the whale, so I a whale. I asked you to keep your mouth shut tonight. Go ahead. Well, keep it shut. Now, this whale was in the ocean. What ocean? This so. What ocean? I think the folks would like to know where this took place, don't you think? Go ahead. Pick out ocean what I care. That's immaterial to me. All right, immaterial ocean. Oh, what kind of ocean? Now, the whale was in the immaterial ocean. It was minus own business, but it was following a ship. What ship? This ship. What ship? What ship? You don't say nothing in the story. I do the whole story by myself. You're telling it, but I just... But you keep opening your mouth. Now, keep a shot. I only ask you what kind of a ship. A ship, a plain everyday ship that swims in the water. You mean a swim ship? Yeah. Now, the whale was following a swim ship because... Who ever heard of a swim ship? I don't know, Lou. That's your story. Please, keep your mouth away, please. You're getting me aggravated now. Take it easy, take it easy. Go ahead. Now, the ship was following the whale what? because now I got the ship following the, the whale. whale was following the, ship. <laughs> the whale was following the ship yeah. because the whale was hungry. Naturally. Now, Captain Jonah was the captain of the boat, and he don't want the whale to capsize the boat. Do I? He don't want the whale to capsize the boat. Capsize. So he, he don't want the whale to capsize the boat. Capsize. So he... Because he, you know what capsize means. I don't put in big words like that if I don't know what it means. Plus, I know what it means. He don't want the whale what to capsize. What does cap- it mean? Capsize. Capsize. That's a big word. Well, what does it mean? Good one. Well, what does it mean? Capsize. Capsize. Story should be over. Well, what does it mean? Get it over with. Capsize. Capsize. Right. Seven and a quarter. Six oh, all right. So he didn't want the whale to six or seven eighths the boat. Yeah. So what did he? He kept the gentleman was a brave man, so he threw the he threw the whale over a barrel of apples. What kind of apples? And, and just as soon as he, he. What kind of apples? <laughs> Yes, you're not tend to interrupt me. Well, what kind of apples? What's so harmful about that? Plain I... everyday apples. Well, apples there's... that grow on a tree. Well, there's all kinds of apples, Lou. There's Baldwin apples, there's frost apples. And... Crab apples! Well, tell the people. <laughs> He's not being mad at you, oh, folks. Take it easy, take it easy, take it easy.
Come on now, get it over with. So the whale ate the apples. Yeah, he ate the apples. Now, Captain Jonah realized that the whale was still going to capsize the boat. Don't ask me again about that thing. All right. So when, he, when the whale ate the apples, he was still hungry. So then Captain Jonah threw him over a stool. What kind of stool? Who said that? Me, in case you asked. Oh, what? A three-legged camp stool. So the whale ate the stool. Now, the whale ate the apples, and the whale ate the stool, and the whale was still hungry. In other words, his appetite had not been appeased. Mm -hmm. And that's a pretty good word, All right, too. Well, go ahead. Let's hear the finish this. So Captain Jonah, being a very brave man, he didn't want the whale to capsize the boat, and he wanted to save all the passengers mm -hmm. on the boat. So what did he do? I don't know. I'm going to tell you what he Just did. Keep quiet. Go ahead. He sacrificed himself. Yeah. He threw a beautiful jackknife dive right off the boat into the mouth of the whale. Mm -hmm. Now, the whale opened up his mouth, and he swallowed Captain Jonah. He swallowed the apples, and he uh, swallowed the stool. And then the whale swam wait, away. Wait a minute, Lou. Three years later, uh, they caught that very Clark, same Lou. whale down here in the just, bay. Just a minute. And they cut him open. Wait a minute, wait a minute Lou. And what do you think they found? Wait a minute, just one minute. One more interruption. Now, he says something here, then I tell wait you the funny answer. One more interruption. <laughs> uh, Lou, you're not coming out here in front of this intelligent audience. Millions and millions of people listening and watching. You're not coming out and trying to get away with that old wheeze, that old pun about the time they, they caught the whale and they cut him open and there they found Jonah seated on that stool selling those apples three for a nickel, are you? That's not the story you intended to come out here and open up the show with. Now, wait a minute. Folks, I'm really sorry. I want to apologize. It couldn't be that story. Because every little schoolboy knows that story. That's right. And he said it was brand new. No one had ever heard about it. And... But I'm sorry. I apologize. Now, you go ahead and tell the folks what they found when they cut the whale open. I say, tell the folks what they found when they cut the whale open. You, you do know the answer, don't you? Hmm? Feel good? You know, I, I, I thought it was a build-up to that old wheeze, but it couldn't be that because every little schoolboy knows that joke. <laughs> Got the wheel open there. They found Jonah seated on the stool. I, Lou, 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 come here a minute now. We're not finished. I want you to tell the folks.